Good evening, everyone. This week on our last episode of the season, we're going to talk about the future of surgery. I've kind of mentioned in passing some of the stuff in past episodes, but we're going to dive a little deeper this time. Let's start with some stuff we mentioned last week. I mentioned the integration of virtual and augmented reality technology with robotic surgery. As it turns out, this is already underway. In 2016, Shafe Ahmed performed an operation using virtual reality cameras at the Royal London Hospital. They live-streamed the operation online with two 360-degree cameras, so that anyone could follow the action as the surgeon removed a tumor, as if they were in the room. Now, this doesn't directly benefit the surgeon doing the surgery very much, and if anything, actually might be a slight annoyance to have the cameras around. But it has huge implications for training purposes. Today, only a few students can peek over the shoulder of a surgeon during the operation, and the view probably isn't great either, especially if the surgeon is real tall or something. With virtual reality, a medical student could view the surgery exactly as the surgeon does, and without limitations of space or proximity. I think it's ironic that we might return to the old days of large audiences watching surgeries, but instead of doing so in person, they do it all through the internet. Regarding augmented reality, I mentioned last time that companies were already working on highlighting points of interest or targets for surgeons. I've since then read about some even cooler applications of such technology. For example, one company is looking into using augmented reality to combine image data with what the surgeon sees and basically grant surgeons x-ray vision, like Superman's got. The software could track what the surgeon is looking at in real time, and show what's behind it or around it, even if the surgeon wouldn't normally be able to see those other objects. 3D printing is another technology that I mentioned last week, but we'll talk a little bit more about. It's particularly expected to see a lot of use in planning for operations. As it turns out, the human body is pretty complicated, and so surgery can also get pretty complicated, and so might require a careful plan to be made. In 2016, a team of experienced doctors were trying to plan a complex heart surgery for a small baby. They 3D printed a full-sized model of the heart and used it to plan out their surgery on the teeny tiny baby heart, able to directly see and feel the organ before the operation. The little boy survived with little to no lasting ill effects. Similar efforts have begun to crop up around the world, and I have no doubt they will continue to do so. 3D printing will probably also see some use in medical education. For a long time, surgery students could only really practice surgeries by actually doing surgery. I imagine that must be absolutely nerve-wracking, at least for the first few times. However, a pair of doctors at University of Rochester have found a way to 3D print artificial organs that look, feel, and even bleed like the real thing. So now, surgeons in training can be handed a torso full of these fake organs and practice the surgery without a patient's life on the line. This will certainly be used in planning too, since it's not always just students that need practice, and the organs are 3D printed, meaning that you can customize them as needed to fit each situation or each individual patient. The next step beyond that in 3D printing is not just to make artificial organs, but to 3D print real functional organs, optimally using cells from the patient themselves. These could be used for transplantation, or maybe even eventually for training and planning, if it becomes easy or cheap enough to mass-produce such real organs. Such technology would completely eliminate the need for an organ waiting list, and would make anti-rejection therapies obsolete, since a patient would be receiving a new organ constructed of their own cells. 
So far, I'm making it sound like most of the advances are going to be in education and training, but there's still plenty of other stuff too. Live diagnostics is an up-and-coming technology. You might remember from an earlier episode that it was at one point a big deal to be able to diagnose things in the span of a few hours. We've come a long way from that though, and now we're striving for instantaneous diagnoses. One such example is the Intelligent Surgical Knife, developed by Zoltan Takats of Imperial College London. It uses electrical currents to cauterize as it cuts, which we've discussed in the past, but this special knife also analyzes the smoke that's generated in order to identify if the tissue it's cutting is malignant. This could be especially useful in detecting cancer in its early stages, which greatly improves patient outcomes. I have no doubt that similar ideas will continue to grow in the future, and surgeons will hopefully someday be able to tell if anything else is wrong with you during their operation, turning any surgery into a diagnostic tool as well. In the same vein, genetic testing is going to become huge in the future. Gene analysis can be used to predict inherited disease risks, detect cancer, and as our understanding of genes improves, we might even start tailoring treatments and surgeries to specific patients. I know that's really broad, but that's because this technology is still quite out there. Here's a hypothetical example, though. Let's say I get a headache, which is pretty common. Perhaps by examining my genes, Doctor of the Future might be able to tell me that ibuprofen will work better for me than acetaminophen. Imagine that extended to all kinds of treatments and ailments and surgeries, and you have just an idea of the potential that genetics analysis may hold. I'm sure that someday surgeons will always ask for genetic analysis before performing operations to know the most promising approach to take. Last but not least, I want to talk about the potential that AI has for the future of surgery. Last week, we mentioned some applications like preventing accidental collisions, but AI and big data, like genomics, are very broad and could have tons of potential benefits to surgery. Some of those benefits will definitely be in boring stuff, like administration. In the future, AI may handle scheduling and prioritization of surgeries or allocation of tools and resources. AI will and are also being used to predict patient outcomes and diagnoses so that doctors can take action accordingly, which is basically what my research is about. We're not great at doing this yet, admittedly, but I'm certain given time, AI will get very good at predicting all kinds of things that will be useful for physicians. Beyond these specific new technologies, we're likely to see a continuation of trends that have already been happening. For several decades now, frankly, computers have continually gotten smaller, cheaper, and therefore more accessible. This will almost certainly keep up in the operation room as well, and therefore just about all of the technology we've mentioned will take up less and less physical space. Current surgical robots, for example, are pretty big, taking up a sizable portion of an operating room. Given more time, everything that can be made smaller will be. And I read of a prototype surgical robot that is actually small enough to be placed inside a patient's body, and then controlled remotely by the surgeon. Sounds a little bit freaky, but it would have lots of benefits, like portability. If you could just carry around a surgical robot with you, emergency services might benefit immensely. Alright, so that's a wrap on Season 2 about surgery and anesthesia. I hope you've enjoyed it. As per usual, I'm going to take about a month of hiatus to research my next topic, possibly releasing little mini bonus episodes if I find stuff I can't resist sharing. As for my next topic, I'm going to tackle the history of public health, including hygiene, epidemiology, and disease prevention. 
It was big on my list of potential topics, and it seems like there's some extra interest in it right now, given the current pandemic. As always, thanks for listening, and thanks to my editor, Jojo Tang, cover artist Angie Lee, and Muse Open for our music. Stay safe, everybody.